Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always, and thanks for joining me this week. Recapping the Japanese Grand Prix on the weekend. At last, a race that, you know, finished while the natural light was outside my window, you know, because it is one of the few races in the year that the uh, Australian and New Zealand audience can enjoy. Not sure about New Zealand, though. Maybe they, it might still just be enough light for them when the race starts, and then, of course, the sun will go down through it. But a great race, a very interesting race, plenty to discuss. Um, not, you know, excluding... The obvious, you know, what's in the title, the the Bulls dynasty, um, reference to Chicago Bulls and the fact that they won six uh, NBA championships through the 90s in the same way that uh, Red Bull have now won their sixth Constructors' Championship, albeit it wasn't a um, pair of um, three-peats or whatever like it was for the Bulls. Anyway, it was just a cool title, so I thought I'd use that. Um yeah, Red Bull have wrapped up their sixth Constructors' Championship and the second on the bounce as well for them after last year's success. And just to, you know, I'm sure when I look back on 2023, the season in F1, I'll be like, there's a lot of comparisons um, that can be drawn for Max Verstappen's season to that of Mark Marquez back in 2019, I want to say. Um, the 2018 or 2019, whichever season that he pretty much scored all of Honda's um, Constructors' Championship or Team's Championship points uh, en route to the last title that he won, unfortunately, because um, since then he has been you know, out with plenty of injuries and all that sort of stuff. And then Honda's also gone downhill in MotoGP. I mean, I haven't talked about MotoGP in quite a while. It's also because I've lost interest in it. Um, but that could be a whole podcast for another day. Yeah, 2019 it is. So um, a year where Marquez just dominated. Uh, he was unopposed to the, the Riders' Championship. You know, it was a almost double the gap. To, from him to Davizioso in second, and then in the, the Riders' Championship, they scored, or sorry, in the Teams' Championship, they scored 458 points, of which 420 were Marquez's, um, Jorge Lorenzo, his teammate at the time, and, you know, not that Lorenzo was a slouch by any means, but, um, you know, Max has got 400 points now with his crushing win in Japan, over the 620-odd that Red Bull have scored this season. So, you know, it is it is almost two-thirds of the points have come from Max, and it's incredible. Um, so, yeah, you can't... <laughs> I cannot really do anything other than wax lyrical about them uh, with what they've achieved this season. Although, there was some people who apparently were detractors of Red Bull um, at the Singapore Grand Prix or had things to say which... You know, Max had to come back and say that they can suck eggs in the press conference after qualifying in Japan or in the in the race, I believe. So, you know, I mean, really, is it is it is it worth poking the bear and taking away from what has been overall a really good team effort? You know, it would have been another story if they got done um, or if it was found that they were, you know, benefiting from going over the cost cap, you know, a couple of years ago, but 
that wasn't the case. So you got to say that everything they're doing is above board and, um, you know, Red Bull as a team under management of Christian Horner, Adrian Newey, they're, um, as the designer, that they're just doing an excellent job. So, you know, that's that's my line on Red Bull to begin with. And, yeah, he goes out and crushes the field by 20 seconds for this latest win after a weekend where they had their most difficult of the, of the season where... You know, Max finished fifth. Oh, wow, fifth is so bad a result. Um, but, you know, by Max's really lofty standards, of course it is. But, yeah, coming back, dominating the field, he won the race. They won the Constructors' Championship, and that's that's history. We'll talk a bit about Sergio Perez as well um, a bit later because it was a mare of a day for him. Um, but also, you know, touching on Red Bull's power unit partner or you know the 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 fact that honda you know is working with the red bull powertrains uh division as well and it was honda's backyard honda of course owned suzuka um so it was a special moment for them to see that uh, championship wrapped up on home soil so all good things about red bull behind them as i make a big yawn behind the mclaren they were second best and nailed it actually to get both cars on the podium for the first time since monza 21 the famous one two uh with ricardo and norris but that meant oscar piastri scored his first podium in f1 yay um and it was it was really lovely. I guessed it on the grid to uh, grid talk show after the race, um, and I had done the qualifying show as well. But you know, the following day, instead of wearing my grid talk shirt, I wore the McLaren uh, papaya shirt. So it was you know, cause for celebration. Get behind it. What a what a phenomenal turnaround. You know, their season has been, and you know, Norris as well after the race talking about the fact that you know they coming for Red Bull next year I mean if there's weight in that or not you know is Red Bull gonna get away from the field again next year because of the gains that they make themselves who knows but you know McLaren have executed you know they've done a good job they've developed how they wanted to um and you know despite all the the detractors I guess you know for McLaren at the start of the season because Bahrain was was a nightmare of a race for them and um they've managed to turn it around but yeah Oscar with his first podium in P3 he did qualify second though which was exciting but did lose um lose the spot to Norris at the start the McLarens decided to go for a pincer move on Max um and Norris did get the better start but the Red Bull got away quite easily into turn one and then we had a safety car on the first lap because there was many a melee going on a melee melee (laughs) going on behind him you had signs making contact i think with with lewis hamilton and then oh sorry with sergio perez which then put lewis hamilton in the grass and perez ended up with front wing damage uh, from that, not the first time in the race that he did end up with front wing damage. You also had both the Alfa Romeos involved with Alex Albon and Esteban Ocon, um, and yeah, with the with the cars, the quartet behind with the Alphas, 
they were all really just jostling for track position, funneling into turn one. And, you know, of course, we've seen many an incident there in the past. Of course, you want to look at the famous ones between Prost and Senna. But, you know, it just doesn't work sometimes. Um, not that this incident was rem- reminiscent of Prost and Senna. But, yeah, you know, all trying to funnel into turn one. You've got to kind of go two by two. Or, you know, one by one instead of like four four abreast, basically. And, you know, as a result, the race was kind of ruined there for the likes of Bottas and Albon. Um, unfortunately, both of them retiring, but, you know, with other things going on for, for Bottas later on. So, Checo was given a first of a couple of five-second time penalties because he passed Fernando Alonso while coming into the pits under the safety car. So while he actually peeled off into the pits, it technically showed as, you know, him passing Alonso on track because Alonso was ahead um, of him at the time, and that's a pass on the safety car, which you're not allowed, and, you know, basically his race sort of unraveled from there. But before then, we had the race resume and get up and running again. Drivers pitted as well because tyres were a big talking point over the weekend, two-stop strategy for most, um, because of the wear scene, even on the hard compound tyre, um, and we had Bottas getting rammed by Logan Sargent into the hairpin, and, you know, talk about, um, you know, drivers of the day and drivers who were not of the day, there was probably more in the latter category this weekend than, you know, drivers of the day, because, I mean, you know, between Checo and, Sergeant as well. Gee, you know, they had some pretty shocking weekends, unfortunately. And Sergeant was another one who, in qualifying, had a massive shunt. He brought out the red flag in Q1. And this is not the first time it's happened, of course, because he, you know, did that at Zandvoort when he made it into Q3 and then he crashed in the race, too. So, you know, th- as many as, you know, Three times in the last four races, um, he has caused significant damage to his Williams. And, you know, it's not really a position that they can afford to, you know, they're not in a position where they can afford this, um, really. And, you know, you heard the team principal, James Vowles, during the broadcast talking about how, you know, they kind of go light on the spares, um at this part of the year, purely just to battle to stay under the cost cap. I mean, that's not going to help with that at all, is it? So, you know, Sergeant given a five-second time penalty in the race um, for that ramming Bottas. Not that it had helped Sergeant's race because he ended up out of it, uh, as did Albon too, so double DNF for, for Williams. And then Checo goes on to kind of replicate that. Um, same thing at the hairpin coming out of Degna 2 um, on Kevin Magnussen, and that ended up giving him a five-second penalty, another five-second penalty, of course, and also a damaged front wing for the second time. But what Red Bull did was wisely, they retired Perez, um, and they called it a day, though... Then they decided, well, hang on, we've got this five-second penalty still to serve. Why don't we send him back out there? And mind you, he's 26 off, 26 laps behind now, 26 laps behind uh, off the lead lap. Um, go out there, serve the penalty, come back and, you know, retire so we don't have to serve the penalty at the next race. Um, 
And I believe that is a rule that, you know, if you don't serve a penalty, uh, a time penalty, it will turn into a grid penalty for the next race. So, you know, well done by Jonathan Wheatley, I'm sure, the the sporting director there at Red Bull, who, who has to do all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, it's quite embarrassing, you know, for Checo, who, you know, he's had another weekend where, like I said, after qualifying that, and I'm sure you can hear Lulu in the background, Barking her head off. Don't mind that. Yes, we understand, Lulu. There's probably someone walking outside. Not that I can see any way out the window. Um, qualifying again. And I said after qualifying in, in the the grid talk show, at least he's fifth, you know. He's, he's closer to Max. He's not been knocked out in Q1 like he has several times this season or failed to make it to Q3. Um, but the gap, you know, is still alarming that it was eight tenths of a second. And, you know, they're in the same car. They both had fresh power units in there for this weekend, of course, because it's Honda's home race. Eight tenths of a second is a bit of an alarming margin. And, you know, Checo isn't the greatest at qualifying, etc. But, you know, I got a feel for Checo at the moment because I feel like he's driving... With a bit of a mental, you know, with a bit of a mentally forlorn demeanor and and psychologically scarred figure, you got to say, of course, you know, there's been lots of stuff going on, a lot of criticism in the media, and you know, you could say, oh, it's their jobs, you know, they're being paid for this, and you know, they're best, they're meant to be the best in the world, but. It, it kind of get it's it surely even for the the thickest of skins not unless like unless you're Max Verstappen of course because you're a robot um, that even the thickest of skins would probably reach a point where it's like enough's enough I mean Bottas was the same when he was at Mercedes where he was pumped up and thought oh he could he could challenge Lewis for the championship but then it just turned into a disaster after that and he was never really the same until he left Mercedes and found sort of freedom at Alfa Romeo but with Checo it's just like why doesn't the team just kind of put it in his contract or you know have a chat with him at the start of the season be like look you know you're here to do what Rubens Barrichello did essentially and you know you you're still going to be able to win races and be given the opportunity to be contributing to a a, a greater overall success for the team and I understand that that's quite difficult to do in any motorsport because any everyone wants to go out there and and win and be world champion and all but surely like Checo's at that age as well where you know retirement is is calling you know you think at the end of his next contract or the end of his current contract which goes until the end of next year if he even makes it to that which people were doubting as well um that you know his priorities kind of shift and be like look you know rather than exhausting myself mentally on thinking that I can challenge Max for the championship and overdriving this car why don't I just focus on getting the best possible result week in week out and you know if it ends up being second on all the weekends sure you know at least it's then no one's going to be questioning or there will be still people questioning him for not you know challenging max but at least no one will be questioning him for finishing fifth or not finishing at all or not scoring the points that he needs to or you know because there's apparently a clause in his contract about um points difference to verstappen at the end of the year kind of thing but as it stands red bull are one and two in the championship you know they're on course um 
they're on course to do what they've never done as a team and get one two in the championship um locked out because as much as i thought that vettel and weber did it back in the day best that weber managed was a third so you know for verstappen and Perez to do it it would be excellent so yeah but yeah, you know, it's it's just been a nightmare for him. It doesn't get any better, but you'd hope that it does kind of pick up um, with how many races left for the season because also I'm like, I'm of the mind where if he does, you know, decide to stick around or if he isn't given the, the boot for next year, he probably is waiting to get to the, the end of the year and the Christmas break and everything and just reset himself and come back next year with a different mindset because whatever he's doing now, it's not working. So, yeah, that's enough about Checo, though. It's It was a bit of a bit of a dog of a race for him. And, of course, you know, Red Bull wrap up the constructors this weekend as well. So, you know, why not lord your... Um, your key contributor, your chief contributor, even though Checo did win two races and, you know, 200-odd points are still attributed to him, um, 223 to be precise. But the fact that, you know, there's conversations going around that, you know, Lewis Hamilton, he's only 33 points behind in the championship that he could possibly vie for second, you know, that's that's a big call. And if that did happen in the end, then I'm sure um, Checo would probably get the boot Anyway, so let's get back to the race, and we had a virtual safety car on lap 14, and this was after the um, the sergeant incident, um, and that triggered Piastri to come in and pit, switch to the hard tyres, and everyone was like, oh, he got a cheap pit stop, um, cheap pit stop, you know, this will help him later on in the race, because he lost less time pitting than, you know, say, Verstappen and Norris would have later under green flag conditions. Though, the fact that Lando came in four laps later, even though it was green flag, he had the tyre offset in his favour by four laps. So, um, it didn't really matter so much for, for him, and McLaren did have to kind of invert the positions which was a bit interesting because Lando on the radio was getting a bit agitated um sitting behind Oscar on the on the faster tires and you know this is something that you know it's interesting the dynamic with Ricardo for the last few years was very much you know in in one driver's favor and you know Lando had not needed to worry about this sort of thing until you know Ricardo actually had a good day but even then it was never like this, except for Monza, for example. So the fact that, you know, several races now, um, last few races, I've got to say, going back to Spa, I believe, as well, uh, he's been on the radio and, you know, like, oh, Oscar this, Oscar that, you know, I'm the quicker car. You know, is he getting a bit agitated or hot under the collar there with his new teammate? Because, you know, we had the awesome news too coming into the weekend that, uh, Piastri's had his contract extended at McLaren to 2020, end of 2026, which is actually a year after Lando's is set to expire too. So it's quite interesting that, you know, if, as has been rumoured that, you know, Lando does decide to leave McLaren, um, that, you know, they've very much got a driver that they're guaranteed to place their, you know, 
place their faith in in Piastri and that he can be the lead driver for them moving forwards. But um, yeah, interesting dynamic. That was the only real complaint there about McLaren through the race. I know our Piastri was not happy or didn't seem happy to finish third, even though that sounds horrible and he was happy. But, you know, he felt that second could very much have been his on the day. But either way, they got their strategy right. Um calculations now about whether they can catch Aston Martin for fourth in the Constructors' Championship, and it's, you know, less than uh, 50-something, you know, less than 50 points, I think, they're adrift, you know, so, and the math was done that they need to outscore Aston by 8.2 points for the rest of the season, um, 8.2 points per race, and we've got three sprint races coming up as well uh, to be able to get fourth, and that would be quite the result you know to to go from where they were last in the constructors championship at the end of the first race um to potentially finishing fourth and aston who were you know second in the constructors championship and they were for quite some time until you know their their development went downhill or lack of development i should say brought them downhill and mercedes and ferrari put together a few good races ferrari of course winning in monza or not monza sorry singapore too so you know, that gave him a good boost of points. But yeah, that's McLaren. Um, the only threat that McLaren had on the day was uh, from George Russell, who bravely decided to go for a one-stop strategy and it backfired pretty hard in his face. And what had happened is um, at the end of the race, you had Carlos Sainz on fresh mediums. Uh, Russell was ahead of Hamilton for these positions. They were fighting for fifth um because they couldn't catch Leclerc uh for fourth and Leclerc did at one point look like on mediums to catch Piastri but he tailed off pretty dramatically as well so they were fighting over fifth um there was a call from Mercedes to put Hamilton ahead because he had done the two-stop strategy and was a bit quicker than Russell at the time um and that Hamilton would assist uh Russell with DRS like we saw signs do in Singapore at the end there that use the same tactic. Um, but Russell was like, Oh, do it on the last lap. But you know, there was three laps to go. The pace of signs was better than Hamilton as well. It was a chance that he could have got both Mercedes instead of what eventuated where, um, he split the Mercedes, but Russell, I guess, left frustrated not only with that, but also the incident at Spoon Curve with Hamilton as well, where they were racing each other. Hamilton kind of pushes, or he doesn't really push because he went wide himself. He went off the track too, but and Russell happened to be on his outside. So they both ended up going off the track. Um, but, you know, a bit of sparks flying at Mercedes there too. And it was interesting hearing Hamilton in the press conference after the race saying that, you know, when when sort of talked about, uh, sorry, when that was brought to his attention, you know, about the dynamic within the team, he's like, well, currently I've scored the most points this year and, you know, I've had the best results. And that for me, like, you know, you don't always hear Lewis, you know, do this sort of thing. But that for me was like telling the young, (laughs) the young fella, the young upstart in Russell that this is still my team. You know, he's asserting his dominance, you know, like uh, like my dog Lulu does sometimes. She's a little, little poodle, not that Hamilton's a poodle. Um, she's a little toy poodle, but, you know, loves to, you know, remind everyone who's boss. <laughs> um, so, yeah, very much so. And, you know, it's it's been 
a really interesting year for Mercedes, like I've talked about many times. The fact that, you know, they finally ditched the no pods concept, which is something that, you know, Russell was working with and trying to, you know, evolve, whereas Hamilton's like, it's not going to work long term, you know, we need to get rid of it and go on down a different path. So the fact that, you know, he's kind of stepped in and leading the development again gives me more confidence, Not nothing against Russell. Um, and, you know, he's had the better results this year. Russell's had the poor reliability. Uh, they did the little switcheroo or the sideways switch between Mike Elliott and James Allison as well in the technical department. So... You know, they really have to pull something together for next year because, you know, both drivers have re-signed till the end of 25. Um, so another two years to try and catch Red Bull under the current rule cycle if, if, you know, that is actually possible for any of the teams. I mean, you know, don't tell McLaren it's not possible because they feel like they um, will give it a shot. But, yeah, you know, Mercedes, I think, you know, when the gloves come off, you know, and they are in a stronger position than they are, then you can tell from what happened in this race that there's going to be sparks that fly between Hamilton and Russell and it'll really be something interesting to watch. You know, what we didn't really get between Bottas and, and Hamilton because Bottas was a bit more compliant and whatnot and that's why Hamilton loved him. With Russell, I feel like it's going to be a completely different story. So we will see how that one pans out. Um, so that was 5th, 6th, and 7th, Russell ultimately losing out, but, you know, still in the points, finishing a race, you know, after Singapore, of course, you know, he would have wanted to tick that box, but Fernando Alonso, P8, he beat the Alpines to round out the points, of course, and, you know, we had Ocon and Gasly behind in ninth and 10th, but finally we're starting to see, not cracks, but, you know, agitation, from from the two-time world champion and you know Alonso at the start of the year he's like this is the best car ever driven you're the best team ever and you know everyone's kissing each other's backsides and um you know it's all rosy they're scoring podiums left right and center and you know I even wrote that oh it's you know feels like Alonso's having a renaissance this year you know and then everything comes crashing down to earth um, you know, last race in Singapore, he's like, the car is undrivable. This time again, he's criticizing the performance of the car and the team. And he's like, you're feeding me to the lions, you know? And ironically, one of the lions that he was being fed to was the lion that he said, or he praised the defense of, um, a couple of years ago. And when Alonso got on the podium at Alpine at the Qatar Grand Prix, um, tell Esteban to defend like a lion. Um, I think it was Qatar that he said that. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, finally Alonso showing his Alonso-esque colours because, you know, he can be pretty vicious. And What is it with him in Japan, really? Because you look back to, I think, 2015 or 2016 is when he made the GP2 engine comments. So, you know, it's always at Japan that this sort of stuff comes out. But, um... You know, Aston Martin in general, like Stroll had another DNF, don't know why, do I, should I really care, I don't know, um, he didn't really, he got eliminated in Q1 again anyway, so, you know, I know he had the big shunt last week and Aston put the car back together, but, like, if, if this is Aston going downhill for the rest of the season, then Stroll very much has missed his window to, you know, get some good results, because, 
when they were in the when Alonso was getting podiums, finishing P two to Max, Stroll was still like barely making it into the top ten or barely hanging on to a top ten finish. So that was kind of the time where you know they need to capitalize, and you know that's going to be one of the big reasons that they lose P four in the championship too. But you know, less said there, the better because of mentioned it quite a bit this season so I don't need to keep going into it um and then behind the Alpines you know good race for them to finish in the points even if it is for ninth and 10th they just need to be classified and get some consistency under their belt you know even though their reliability has been pretty terrible but behind them you had the Alpha Tauri duo 11th and 12th and it was the first race that uh, or first representative race that we got to see Sonoda go toe-to-toe with his teammate Liam Lawson Um, because Sonoda for the last couple of races is um, you know he's either not made the start or he has retired on the first lap Monza and Singapore Um, so yeah first representative race really with with Lawson up to speed and you know Lawson ended up beating Sonoda to P11 so what do you want to say about that especially when they confirm the lineup for the team whatever they're going to be called next year Hugo Boss, Adidas Racing, or the the Citric Red Bull, or Red Bull Cola Racing, who knows, Um, they confirmed the lineup uh, leading into the weekend, because home race for Sonoda, of course, that Sonoda would be partnered by Ricardo next year, like, you know, not... It is a pretty underwhelming lineup, like I was saying last week, I would love to see Sonoda with Lawson to continue, and I'm sure they'll be able to develop the car and whatnot. And, you know, in their press release, they gave the reason of, you know, the the experience and wealth of experience that Ricardo has will, will be an asset to the team and whatnot. And it's like, really, though? Because one of the things that Ricardo was criticised for during his stint at McLaren was the fact that he kind of lacked that technical foresight that, you know, Norris has got and... Piastri's got as well to be able to adapt to the difficult car there and that's what you kind of need the technical foresight to be able to develop a car like I'm not sure if you know you can still do it without it I'm not an engineer of course but yeah you know it's an interesting thing and you know whether it's Ricardo's path back to Red Bull who knows maybe he could be promoted to Red Bull if Checo decides to to not drive for Red Bull next year or is shown the door but yeah it's just frustrating that, you know, we've got all these junior drivers sitting on the sidelines at the moment, such as your Lawson's, uh, Felipe Drogovic as well, last year's F2 champion. Um, he's most likely going off to Formula E next year from what we hear with Maserati. Um, Teo Pocher, sorry, the name just escaped me for a second. Teo Pocher, who's leading F2 this year, will likely wrap up the championship in Abu Dhabi. Um, he's resigned to uh, another year of reserve driver duties at Alfa Romeo or Sauber, as they'll be next year. Um, these are the kind of drivers you want in your F1 team. You know, instead we've got Logan Sargent, who, you know, when you look at last year's F2 results, you had Drogovic, Porcher, Lawson, your top three, and then Sargent, even though he finished a point behind um, Lawson, he was probably the most underwhelming of the four, yet he made it into F1 before Lawson. And it's like, why isn't Horner on the phone to... um, 
Val, James Val's at Williams and say, hey, look, you know, we, we did the whole loan thing with Alban to you guys. I've got another driver for you in, in Lawson because apparently um, Toto Wolf has been on to his old mate, uh, James Val's, and saying, oh, you need to take Mick Schumacher on board next year. And um, we've done the evaluation and the testing and the data looks really good. And Val's is like, nah, not, not, not taking that risk with Schumacher, of course, because um, of the the really troubled tenure that he had at Haas and whatnot. But, you know, so far what we've seen from Lawson, and please don't say that, you know, oh, it's another Nick DeFree situation where, like, after such a small sample size, you think that he's going to be a world beater. Well, A, I don't think Lawson's a world beater, but also it's more than a race and it's not even Monza. Like, Monza's a complete different kettle of fish and Williams was always going to do well at Monza unless you're Logan Sargent. Um... He did really well in Singapore, you know, which is one of the toughest races, of course, and, you know, that's all behind us. He's beaten his teammate fair and square here in Japan. He's probably got the next race as well in Qatar, uh, because it doesn't sound like Ricardo will be fit in time for that. What does he have to do, you know, and spend another year on the sidelines? So this is my latest beef at the moment, and I've written an article about this as well, uh, which hasn't been published yet. That you know, it's it's a failure, I guess, for the pathways if these drivers aren't making it. If we are getting the likes of, you know, Sergeant instead of a Porsche, Porsche or or Drogovic, um, people like Ricardo are being put back at to the the junior team supposedly, which is what Alpha Tauri Tor Rosso has always been for for Red Bull, and even back when when. Before Toro Rosso, when it was Minardi, Minardi was always seen as like a, a feeder team or like a junior team which would bring in the up-and-coming drivers, such as your Mark Webbers and um, Fernando Alonso's. I think Jensen Button was there too. I can't remember. Oh, maybe he was at Benetton or Renault. Who knows? Um, but yeah, you know, they've always been a team that finds a team that have brought through and nurtured talent, which... I haven't seen, unfortunately, for a while, and it could be a Red Bull problem too, and that's a whole different podcast that I'd want to get into one day, talking about Red Bull and how, you know, they've kind of failed their junior drivers because of this, un- you know, unrealistic expectation that Max Verstappen has sent. Like, no one's going to be a Verstappen. You're not going to find another Verstappen for at least you know, five to ten years, I reckon, even then, it'd be a bit of a stretch, he really is a generational driver, so how do you train up, you know, your drivers, not to be like Verstappen, but to be still second best to Verstappen, even, you know, and that's where, like, I feel sad still for Albon and for Gasly, who got burnt, um, Kvyat's another story, who knows if you want to talk about Kvyat too, but you know, I just don't want Lawson to end up being on that list because he's shown that he's a capable driver. He might not have lit the world on fire in the junior formulas, but he's done a great, good enough job while given the opportunity in F1. And it's more than one race, you know, so you can't compare it to DeFries. So, yeah, it's just a bit disappointing, really, that, you know, Ricardo's been given another opportunity. And this is quite funny because everyone's like, oh, you're Aussie, um don't get upset if we we bag him or whatever it's like look my feeling and i've said this since last year as well since 
the axing from McLaren that Ricardo, I feel like, needs to call it a day. Like, it would be a shame if he got a got put back into a top drive um, at the expense of, you know, a, a someone who's a burgeoning talent who would do a better job long term, but I don't know. Anyway, I'll leave it at that, and I just wanted to finish up with Haas being plumb last of the classified runners, and while, you know, Magnussen did get his race ruined by um, Checo, it still doesn't really um, make up for the fact that, yeah, you know, that's just where Haas is at the moment. They've got no car pace on race day, their tyres get chewed up pretty quickly, so, you know, really just making up the numbers at the moment, um, as is Alfa Romeo, but that's also, you know, because they're waiting for the Audi money, which is the customary grid talk um, line about them these days. Anyway, that that all wraps uh, this one up, though, so thank you very much for joining me this week. Of course, check out the link tree, which will take you all to the different things that I'm involved with uh, through the Twitter profile or X profile, at Hit the Apex Media. Check out Grid Talk as well. Um, they've uh, been great, you know, great people, um, great shows that they do and whatnot and pleasure and, and privilege always, I feel, to be um, guesting on there. So, you know, please do check them out. Um, love them all. Until next time, the Qatar Grand Prix review and also Bathurst 1000 next weekend as well. Um, I hope you guys have a lovely weekend and it's a long weekend for us here because the the footy finals. Um, but yeah, other than that, thank you and I'll see you next time.